This week, I, full disclosure, did not intend to do a weekly Havoc. Uh, I knew my November was looking crazy. Uh, vet reps opening up some shows. Uh, and I would talk to Charlie and said, hey, man, do you mind covering down on some shows this month? And he was game for it. And as it turned out, uh, that was really prescient of me because I ended up getting abominably sick, uh, not COVID or anything, just, you know, my kid was down with some symptoms and then I was taking care of him and then I got sick, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so couldn't have gotten to the show anyway. Um, so I was extra grateful that Charlie and I had thought ahead and Charlie was covering down his guest for this episode was Sam Jacobs. So he made it a spotlight episode. I was not familiar with Sam. Uh, so this is all on Charlie. If it goes disastrously, send all of your comments to him. Uh, if it goes well, it was, I'm sure I had a lot of influence in the decision-making, but I, uh, Sam is uh, works at ammo.com and Charlie will tell you his whole bio uh, during the episode, but uh, we're going to churn out a couple more of these uh, with Charlie until I'm back uh, and able to kind of, um, you know, do it soup to nuts. But until then, uh, I think you'll find Charlie a more than adequate substitute for me. Hopefully not too much more, but definitely uh, up to the task. So uh, without further ado, let's take a listen to Charlie's interview with Sam Jacobs. Again, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. everyone and welcome to the weekly havoc the show by and for readers of the havoc journal where every week we take on the hot topics of the day and try to make a little order out of chaos i'm charlie faint the owner of the havoc journal filling in for our host christopher paul meyer as always the views expressed in the show do not represent the official position of any other person or organization i'm pleased to be here today with sam jacobs sam is a lead writer and in-house historian at ammo.com his recent articles include a distributed capacity for violence, a brief history of weapons technology and political power, as well as righteousness plus force in America, the trap of righteousness activism coupled with state power. And of course, you can read his work right here on the Havoc Journal. Sam is also the managing editor of news.libertasbella.com. You can find him on Twitter until he gets rebanned at Sam Jacobs 1776. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So, hey, first thing I want to address, Sam, your bio. I got a little chuckle out of us being able to find you on Twitter until you get rebanned. Is that something that happens to you a lot? Well, I got banned before, uh, right before the election and got unbanned mysteriously without any notice after January 6th, <laughs> which uh, I think was a common tale. Uh you know, as I was uh, at the time exposing what was going on with the election in the, you know, four to six key states that likely were uh, stolen and then, you know, magically was permitted back on. I didn't even I just kind of signed in because you can still look, you know, at what you followed. And, right. uh, and it was like, oh, wow, my account's back and 
I never got any notice or anything. They just took me <laughs> offline and then put me, put me right back. Um, yeah. Very good. Very good. So Sam, let's talk a little bit about your background. What, what should the listeners, of the Havoc Journal know about you and, and how, uh, how you got to a place now where you're writing for ammo.com. You're talking a lot about politics. You're talking a lot about shooting, a lot of history involved in your articles. So what can you tell, tell our listeners about yourself? I, I'm a self-educated, you know, I don't like, I never studied history in any um, systematic or official way. I just like knowing stuff about history. Um, I just am, am kind of a uh, shiftless layabout by nature. And about five years ago, I saw an ad for uh, ammo.com was looking for, people to help them with infographics. And um, I quickly proved myself valuable in knowing a lot about history uh, and current events that, you know, have a shelf life longer than like five minutes, because we do try and avoid the outrage factory stuff. That's like, you know, this constant kind of churn, but to get at issues that we think are going to be pressing for the next, you know, year or two maybe like the great reset is a really good example of something like that you know it's current it's topical but it's it's not just going to kind of pass through the news and be gone next week um so that was really really it um and you know what i think we offer over at ammo.com it really is a unique perspective that we get through hashing these issues out internally and uh, discussing them and kind of trying to adopt and uh, take on different points of view without just, you know, churning out these cookie cutter conservative or cookie cutter uh, libertarian takes on things to really think about them and try and have something new and interesting and important to say. I agree. And I think that's one of the things that attracts me to your writing is that you, you have a political persuasion, you have your own thoughts, but you also consider more than the narrow political view for your side, for a lack of a better expression. And I can see in your writing how you're thinking broadly and considering multiple points of view in there. And I think that helps create useful discussion that frankly, we don't see a whole lot anymore. And we try to do the same thing on the Havoc Journal. I think that might be one of the reasons why your work nests so well with the type of stuff that we're trying to do. Yeah. And I'm very like, you know, I mean, the, to me, the thing is, is, is it's not that I'm open to all points of view. It's that I'm open to all like good points of view, you know? And, and, and I think that, that uh, there also is, you know, anytime that you start getting into there being a sort of official, you know, industry that writes around a certain ideology, doesn't really matter what it is. You tend to get, start getting some degree of like groupthink, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and people start missing uh, their, their blind spots, I think is a, is a really good way of, of putting it probably better than, than groupthink. But, um, and so I think that, Given the, I mean, we have a pretty like diverse crew, ideologically speaking, in the background at ammo.com. And I think that that really forces us to get at these issues in a way that gives a unique uh, perspective that 
kind of shed some light on the issue that maybe, you know, opens people's eyes up to complications in these issues that they hadn't really thought about before. And that's like kind of my, you know, thing is like finding problems that people have not suggested adequate solutions to my satisfaction for and raising them and trying to get somebody to tell me, you know, what, what's the fix? Where am I wrong? Um, I, I, I like difficult questions that maybe don't have any answer. I'm into that. I can see that in your writing. And I think that's a natural segue to go into some of your recent articles. So the first one I want to talk about, Sam, your article called Righteousness Plus Force in America, The Trap of Righteous Activism Coupled with State Power. So a lot to unpack there just with the title. We we got righteousness, uh, righteous activism, state power. Can you you talk to us a little, uh, sum up the article for our listeners and what prompted you to to write that piece? So it's kind of this deep history of, uh, what we decided to call political righteousness in America that we trace back to, I mean, really t- to kind of the Puritan impulse in America, but we draw the map all the way from that to today. And I think that we have a very nuanced take on that lineage. Um, but, you know, basically we wanted to talk about the events of 2020 in terms of both the rioting and the COVID cult in a manner that wasn't so much just harping on these two phenomenon, but really got at some longer historical context of, um, you know, this as, as a sort of recurring tradition in American political life, this quasi religious, uh, fervor that kind of breaks out every, I don't know, every couple, you know, every couple of times a century, maybe once a century. Mm -hmm. Um, and examining it from that, um, perspective, but also examining it in terms of where that disconnects from the progress, the early progressive movement, which had a lot of explicitly, religious um, sentiment in it to secular progressivism, uh, which has none, but retains, you know, some of these puritanical features like the deep concern with, you know, you you have to, you can't just do the right things. It has to go to the very core of your soul that you bend the knee to the woke mob. You know, there's no amount of of empty genuflecting that you can do because even your genuine, uh, you know, um, kneeling before this is is that's not enough. So um, that's kind of where I see the connection that it has this. It's almost like an inversion. This kind of like sick inversion of the Christian impulse, which is towards a. Uh, you know, forgiveness and, and, and reconciliation uh, and absolution or ask the woke religion, you know, none of these things exist for them. It's, it has that impulse of like carrying guilt and carrying um, something like original sin, I suppose, but it, 
lacks any mechanism for, uh, you know, absolution. Absolutely. So how does that tie in with the state power aspect for your article? Well, I mean, they've, they, they've, they've periodically and increasingly capture the power of the state. I mean, they certainly have it now. Um, that's, I wish, you know, I wish people would stop saying the deep state and start just saying the federal bureaucracy, because to me, it's just pl- much plainer uh, what, what we mean. But yeah, I mean, the federal bureaucracy is, um, you know, I think the foot soldiers for it tend to be people who are either genuinely woke or know which side their bread is buttered on. And that's where, you know, I mean, it's like the question of what is, what is the state? And um, I think, you know, much to the chagrin maybe of some of your listeners that the best person to describe what the essential elements of the state was is Vladimir Lenin. Uh, the state is armed bodies of men, and um, that is it. The state, at the end of the day, is guys with guns who can put you in a cage or kill you if you don't comply. And that's really all that it is. And wouldn't you know, every federal bureaucracy from the FDA to the EPA to whoever they've somebody there has guns um and the the administrative state which is where all these bureaucrats work in these extra constitutional agencies and i would describe them as extra constitutional because for a very concrete reason because the constitution does not authorize congress to create new bodies of legislation and that is effectively what the administrative state is. They just, you know, create the FDA and then say, okay, make regulation. And that, be, that takes the place of um, legislation. And so, you know, but these, these positions are largely occupied, again, either by the actually woke or however you, te- you know, seek to describe them. Or people who just are smart enough to know, you know, to see the writing on the wall. And I don't really know what the percentages of how, how it breaks down are between the true believers and the cynics. But I do know that I think the true believers are far more dangerous than the cynics because the cynics can be bargained and reasoned with. And the true believers are, you know, believe things that are... Uh, bizarre and fundamentally at variance with reality. Yeah. It's always hard to bargain with, with any type of zealot. Absolutely. Right. Well, Sam, I I think that nests very neatly with the other article that I wanted to start us off talking about. And that's the one about distributed capacity for violence, a brief history of weapons technology and political power. And that seems like a, a very interesting connection between weapons technology and the power that that grows from that technology politically. What can you tell us about that article? So this was like, I mean, I think that the genesis of this article was years ago. We started talking about the whole question of 
um, you know, this thing that always comes up when they're when the, they will say, what are you going to do with your AR-15 against nukes? And then the knee jerk reaction right. from conservatives and libertarians is, ha ha ha, Taliban, Viet Cong. And I said to them for the first time, maybe close, close to five years ago than not, no, this is wrong because they will nuke Americans. That's the one group of people they will nuke. Um, and that's been my position for kind of the better part of the last 10 years. Um, but more fundamentally than that precise um conundrum which i do think like this is a really good example of a blind spot i mean i think that conservatives and libertarians just completely hand wave that just completely rely upon well they won't do it no they'll do it for you <laughs> you know like you're the you're the threat that the provincial uprisings in the third world are not but i think more fundamentally there's a question of imbalance of power that is about the imbalance of power um, politically and the transference of, of the of political power upwards to the federal government and then i think that there's the question of economic centralization and the transfer of power upward um, through the federal reserve and the income tax and i think that there is the most fundamental question which is the centralization of the meaningful capacity to commit violence. Uh, and I think that at a very basic level, um, things like, you know, it's good to have, having a gun is better than not having a gun and not everyone is going to be able to address the issue that I'm talking about. But for example, something as basic as, um, what are you going to do in a such in this you know succumb some some kind of survival situation? You can invent anyone that you like. What are you going to do? Uh, whether it's the state or non-state actors or criminals or whatever, come through your you know retreat, and they know small squad tactics, and you do not. What are you going to do? Get <laughs> shot is is probably the answer that's right um which is like to me it's not i you know when liberals do this it's like oh ha 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 you know but that's not how clearly not how i look at it it's just like have you thought about this because it's important you know it's an important question like how far how far i mean there's all kinds of stuff like uh well i'm all prepped up cool do you know how to fix stuff when it breaks do you have spare parts do you know how to make spare parts do you have the equipment to make spare parts? Do your That's neighbors right. like you? That's right. You got a you got a six thousand dollar gun, but you don't know how to do the basics on any of that. Right, and 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 it's just like it's another it's another kind of expression of that. I mean, I'm, I think that people should be should be prepared, and people should prepare themselves reasonably, and people should prepare themselves. You know, I'm not suggesting that you have to, uh, have, you know, have the funds together to get yourself a small tank before you begin <laughs> taking measures to prepare um but i think that the i think really two things i think first of all i think that the like the kind of pretend uh 
pretend excitement for civil war people i think is like really tasteless and ghoulish uh and i think that the you know pro-liberty and patriotic americans have not really reckoned with the disparity in their ability to commit meaningful violence as opposed to the you know the united states government which has terrifying and godlike capacity to do violence but this also tr trickles down i mean the militarization of police is another one it's like they've got tanks <laughs> you know your local police department has tanks um this was not the case 100 years ago they had you know pistols and shotguns and rifles and that was it you guys were evenly matched you're not anymore what do you what do you do pretend it doesn't change anything so sam outside of of preparing physically are there other steps that people can take politically or economically or through information means that might help preserve their rights in the future well yeah i think that like i mean to kind of get at a to kind of get at what i was talking about earlier like people always gloss over the acquisition of skills and the building of community ties when they talk about prepping like you know mm -hmm. i saw a meme once that was like something to the effect of some guy you know lusting after some guy's supplies because he's the neighbor who doesn't have guns um you could be the neighbor who has guns but like no one likes you they're gonna take your stuff dude <laughs> you know like that's it um so i think that or you're just an unknown quantity or you've done that or you're you know you're known kind of drag on the community or something i think that people really need to pay attention to making community bonds that could mean getting involved locally politically it could mean joining a gun club it could mean joining the volunteer fire department it could mean all kinds of things but i think that people need to be civically involved in places where it makes sense to them i think that getting out of blue enclaves is really like kind of a must at this point um i just don't see any upside to remaining in a blue enclave i know people have you know whatever considerations they have but i just don't i think they're lost um and i think that taking small reasonable steps to protect yourself and your family you know i'm i'm uh i'm i'm a crypto proponent i think that that takes power away from centralized banking and um and i think that uh you know gold is nice but uh nothing nothing holds value like a like a case of 223. <laughs> hey Sam, let's talk briefly about the the elephant that's currently in America's living room right now, the Rittenhouse case. Do you have any any thoughts on that? Do you like to share with the audience? Yeah, I actually, you know, I don't want to be voice ten thousand kind of weighing in on what everyone else has already said. I wasn't terribly surprised that he was acquitted. Um, I know a lot of people were dooming and glooming about it, but I fairly confident our courts still work, and the judge seemed to be a good one, and that I think still counts for a lot in this country uh i think that you know while i don't want to be a pollyanna about it you know i think there's a lot of people in this country who do just actively hate freedom 
but I think that there's a lot of people in this country who don't. And I think that there's a lot of people in this country who are seeing the writing on the wall with regard to the left. So, um, you know, I applaud the jury and I thought that he handled himself really well, all things considered. I mean, like he had a panic attack on the stand. Um, I feel bad for him. I think that like, that was the only time I really felt bad for him though, because this was like, this is my, my kind of unique take on the Rittenhouse thing was I didn't like all the, you know, Oh, poor Kyle stuff because to me it was like, he is, and I didn't like all of the, you know, kind of like infantilizing him and talking about his youth. It was like, Mm -hmm. he, he, chose to do man stuff um and i applaud him for that you know like i think he's i think he represents the best qualities of young americans to go you know not because he killed people but because he was out cleaning graffiti and he was trying to be helpful at a time of crisis in his community and like you know the whole uh way that they put it about like uh you know what's he doing there it's like what are you not doing there you know, what is, I think in a sane world, he never would have had to be there in the first place. Um, but I thought that he handled himself very, very well. I don't think that he's a little kid. Um, I think that he was, you know, certainly young when it happened, but I think that, uh, you know, he's been thrust into thrust into manhood, uh, and we should admire him without, uh, pitying him in, in, in any way, because I think that he got, you know, a raw deal, but he got the same raw deal anybody else would have got in his situation. And I think that, um, I think he was, I think he was probably pretty, I think he was probably mature enough to know that. So don't really want to like, I think it's kind of, kind of strips a little bit of his, uh, you know, bravery away from him to make it about like, he's just this, you know, babe in the woods kind of thing you know for sure for sure it'll be interesting to see what happens next uh in in this case and others like it but yeah very well said on that one sam i am dying to know what he's going to do next because it's like does he want to go just kind of be a nurse and live the rest of his life in anonymity is he going to hit the talk show circuit i mean i know he's on tucker on monday i kind of expected that tucker would follow the verdict pretty quickly but after Tucker, like, does he go away for a little bit? Does he go away forever? Does he, you know, we see him at CPAC every year. Um, I'm just, I'm curious to know what he's going to do. You know, I want him to do whatever he thinks is best for him, but I do, you know, this is another like one, you know, Nick Sandman, I think is good yeah. for that kid. Um, good for that kid. And he was really, I think it's very, uh, speaks very well to Nick Sandman, how he, reached out to Rittenhouse to say, you know, like, cause like, you know, a grown man, never mind like a kid who's, you know, I mean, I know I just said he's a grown man, but you get what I mean. He's like, he's 18. It's easy enough to go. You know what? I'm just going to let it go. I just want to get on with the rest of my life. And it's right. good to have somebody in your ear, like Nick Sandman going, you know what? How about you don't let it go? Right. Right. You know? And I, I'm, I'm curious to see um, what he's going to do. I wouldn't say I hope he does this or that because I think that, you know, 
Kyle Rittenhouse is the one who ultimately has to make the decision about how he wants to proceed with his life. And like, we shouldn't be glib uh, or dismissive about how transformative he could disappear from view, uh, you know, Monday at 8.15 after he gets off Tucker Carlson. We can never hear from him again. Change his name, go somewhere, disappear, be a nurse. That's still going to be the most transformative uh, moment of his life. And I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he doesn't feel great about it. Um, so I think we should all, you know, be respectful of what it is that he wants coming out of this, but, um, you know, who doesn't want to see the media, uh, pay out nine figure settlements. Yeah. Yeah. Just like they did in the Sandman case. for Sure. Right. So let's shift gears entirely for a minute, Sam. One of the articles on the Havoc Journal that, that you wrote that I really was found interesting was your piece on Louis L'Amour. Uh, and I grew up reading his work and I was, was very interested to see you write about him. So can you summarize that article for our audience as well? Yeah, so I actually just recently got into Louis L'Amour uh, because a friend of mine insisted that I read The Walking Drum, which I uh, loved. And then I thought, well, you know, why don't we put up a piece about him on ammo.com? Because I really, uh, just in general in my life, am a big proponent of American culture. Um, I think that you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's kind of obvious to say, but like, I think that America has a really great culture and I don't, I'm not a Europhile by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not one of these, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's cool and great stuff about European history and culture, like no, no, no shade on European culture at all. But um, I'm not one of these people who's kind of, you know, impressed by things because they're uh, of European extraction, I'm very, very interested in American culture. And uh, somebody like Louis L'Amour really documented American culture. I mean, a lot of the people that we have on our Forgotten American series, like even the people who just were writing stuff for Guns and Ammo in the 30s or whatever, um, they are, in my estimation, important historical figures because of their contributions to American culture. And we don't want to see them forgotten. Uh, Louis L'Amour had firsthand exposure to the West as it was, as it was kind of disappearing, which I found really interesting because I'm kind of just somebody who in general is interested in, um, I don't really know how else to put it, but like decay and things falling apart and the end of things mm-hmm. in general and particular in the end of the American West. I mean, I love, you know, Westerns where the premise is like it's he's old and the West has kind of disappeared and life's kind of passed him by. And he's, you know, clinging to this life that that is, is gone. Um, I love that's like my favorite kind of western uh film so to find out that louis l'amour was steeped in that era of like you know bunkhouse uh logging camp you know wet 
old west as opposed to the saloon gunfighter uh archetype which i think is cool but you know i also i find that i find it really fascinating that men were keeping that lifestyle alive you know well into the 20th century and so to have somebody kind of projecting that backward onto the 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 true old west of you know billy the kid and stuff like that i just think is uh is is really cool and gives it a certain kind of flavor and he's very smart you know, he knows a lot about history and culture so yeah that was a great piece very interesting and definitely a change from some of the earlier work we talked about uh with your articles on on politics and violence and good juxtaposition there as well and the next piece i wanted to talk about was your article on carbine williams one of the reasons i thought that was interesting is because it's kind of a story of redemption and imprisonment and it took place in Cumberland County, North Carolina, where I spent a lot of time growing up with the high school in Cumberland County right there in Fayetteville. And it also fascinated to me that they would have a prisoner working, working on weapons. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that article and some of the unique aspects of that? About which now? The one on Carbine Williams. Right. So the one on Carbine Williams we thought was like, uh, I mean, this is one of the ones that didn't originate from me, but I was really fascinated by because of the uh, the murder aspect. I mean, the guy killed a cop. Right. Uh, but he basically also invented semi-automatic weapons, as we know them, while he was in prison. And he also is like kind of an interesting figure uh because i you know as i said i find these kinds of unresolvable questions to be they're interesting to me questions that don't have good answers easy answers any answers and so the question of like you know can you atone for killing somebody um when have you paid your debt to society when should we stop viewing you as a murderer and view you as something else? I think that the story of Carbine Williams really gets into that. Um, and again, like, you know, that's the thing is I don't, I don't think there's any kind of cut and dry easy answer about it, but the family of his victims did campaign for his release. Um, and so, you know, and that to me is just another kind of, monkey wrench in the works as it were because it's like you know well what do you say about that and should it matter and um so that's why i personally found it interesting and like also just the whole aspect of it where he's kind of forgotten you know there's like a there's a movie about him in the 50s and he was this you know kind of folk hero i guess you would call him and then and then like now nobody's heard of him you know have you i hadn't no, I had the first time I ever heard of this guy was reading that article. And it was what was interesting to me is that if I watched a movie, if I watched a movie based on this guy's life, I'd be like, this is completely unrealistic. He got, you know, he murdered a cop in rural North Carolina back in, in, the, in the 1900s. And he didn't get, you know, killed by the police and yeah. the, the family forgave him. And the cops are letting him work on guns while he's in prison. No, I don't believe it. So it was a fascinating article to read that all that stuff actually happened. Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny because him working on guns in prison is kind of like the least unlikely version of it, the <laughs> aspect of it to me. 
Because it's like, yeah, it sounds like that totally sounds like America in the 30s to me. You know, <laughs> got this guy in the chain gang who's pretty good with machine tools. Why don't we put him to work making guns? Yeah, what YOLO, can you buddy, with let's do it. Yeah, yeah, like, sure, why not? Um, you know, this is like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that was like the least kind of shocking part of it to me was that they let him work with guns because it just seemed like, I don't know, man, why wouldn't he? He's good with tools. Like, guy <laughs> fixed my gun, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting to me, you know? I like this. That's one of the things I love about working with ammo.com is, you know, learning about getting a chance to share stuff that I've learned about over the years, getting a chance to learn stuff about topics that um, I'm interested in, but never really d- delved into. A good example mm-hmm. of that would be the writing I did about John Wayne. You know, I love The right. Searchers is like one of my favorite movies, but I never, I never really knew anything about John Wayne. I mean, I know liberals hate him, but like, that's kind of all I really know about him personally. Um, and then this Carbine Williams thing is another bucket where it's like, I'd never heard of this, but like, what a cool thing to, you know, learn about. Absolutely. Well, Sam, we're coming to, end, to the end of our time together today. Just wanted to see if there's anything you got coming up that you wanted to promote on the show today. No, I would just say to go to ammo.com uh, forward slash Sam, and you can get $20 off any order of $200 or more. We have most common calibers in stock. You're nine, you're 223, you're, you know, uh, all those Russian calibers people think are, they can't get anymore. We definitely have them. Ammo.com forward slash Sam. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Jacobs 1776. And again, that news aggregator is news.libertasbella.com. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, Sam, that was amazing. I'd love to have you on again uh, later on down the show. We've covered a lot of ground today. I think it's worth unpacking a little bit more later on. So for, for, uh, that's it for the day, folks. And many thanks to Mike, our producer, today's guest, Sam Jacobs, and to all of you. If you liked what you heard here today, please share the show links and leave us a five-star review. We also welcome feedback on the show. You can reach us on Havoc Journal at HavocMedia.com. That's Havoc Journal at HavocMedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Charlie Faint, the owner of the Havoc Journal, and for Christopher Paul Meyer, our host. Once again, thank you for listening to the Weekly Havoc. We'll be back next week to once again help make a little order out of chaos. Thank you and good night. 